Well, hey, Redeemer, my name is Paul Cunningham, and I am so pumped to be able to get into God's Word with you today. Well, as Rob told you, uh, we've been in conversation about me coming on board and serving as an executive pastor, and my family and I are just thrilled about the opportunity. Really, I'd say over the past uh, nine months to a year, as we've been sensing God was stirring in us, moving us to a new place, we prayed for a few things consistently about where God would take us. Uh, number one, we wanted the church to feel like a family on the one hand, but on the other hand, still be serious about reaching the lost and the least and pushing back the darkness in this world. Uh, a second thing that we prayed for consistently was that it would be a church that was passionate about being a part of a multiplying movement of churches. We wanted to be a part of a church that really wanted to plant churches that was planting churches. And then finally, really there's more than this, but a final big thing that we just considered uh, as we were praying was we wanted to be a part of a church that was passionate about instilling a biblical worldview in its people, that it would be really intentional about helping its people see every square inch of existence through the eyes of God mediated to us through Scripture. And as I first encountered Redeemer and heard about the opportunity, I saw all those things present, and so it kind of piqued our interest. But then as we dove into uh, the vision and into the house rules and so much of what makes Redeemer tick, my wife and I just looked at each other and said, these are our kind of people, and, and this is the kind of church that we've been looking for. And then as we began talking to Rob and to the team, it, it was just amazing. It just felt a kindred spirit, and we have loved our time with the team and loved our time with the people that we were able to be with and present in person uh, this weekend. And I'm excited again, even though that maybe you and I couldn't spend time together in person, I'm excited about getting into God's Word with you and again, just the opportunity of what God could be doing in our midst. Well, when Rob asked me to preach, I spent a little bit of time just thinking and in prayer about what would maybe be a good text to come out of that I would get to tell you elements of my story and get to, to have you know a little bit more about me. Uh, but then also, and what would be a good text that would also speak maybe to where you are? All, all the while, of course, being faithful to the text and being faithful to God's Word, because that's the most important thing. And, and it struck me that even though we've never met each other and even though we're from different places, all of us have had to live through the insanity of the past 12 to 15 months. That all these crazy things have been happening um, around us, and for many of us, really hard things happening to us. Maybe you and your job was not considered essential and so that impacted you financially because you weren't able to work uh, for a season. Maybe someone you knew um, got a bad diagnosis of many different kinds. I I've walked through that this year, not myself personally, but um, I had an uncle who was diagnosed with cancer about nine months ago and even just this past week uh, lost his battle with cancer. Uh, but at the same time was then ushered into glory with the Lord. And so I, I know what that's like to get a diagnosis of a family member that is just not good news. And so all of us here together that are watching this together have had to walk through tough circumstances, either in the past year or before that. And, and, and here's what I know is that all of us in the future are going to have to do that at some point. And so I want us to go to Philippians 1. That was a text that God just brought to mind because for me personally, it's been an anchor and kind of a north star for me in times of affliction and times of hardship to kind of give me a sense of what does God want me to do in this situation and what is the perspective He wants me to have. And then it's also been that really for the church throughout history. So we're going to be in Philippians 1, starting in verse 12, if you'll go ahead and flip there um, with me. Now, as you're kind of getting there and before we get into the text, um, let me give you a little background that I think will really be helpful to set the stage and for you to have in the back of your mind 
as we're walking through this and as I'm reading out loud for us. Um, the Apostle Paul, of course, had had his life radically transformed by the grace of God. He had been a persecutor of the church, putting Christians in chains and leading them often to their death and approving of their death as he did with Stephen. But then God had radically transformed his life when the risen Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. And eventually, Paul began planting churches. And the first church that he planted on the European continent that we know of was the church at Philippi. And he had an incredible relationship with this church. He loved them, and they loved him, and they supported him often in his ministry. Well, a few years after he planted this church, Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel in Jerusalem. And over the next two years, he kind of changed jurisdictions a few times, but he spent two years in prison, in custody, for preaching the gospel in Jerusalem and in Caesarea. After a couple years, Paul kind of got fed up with, with kind of being tossed back and forth, and so he appealed his case to Caesar, both to see if he could go free, but then also to be able to declare the gospel before Caesar. So Paul was sent on a boat, and then this boat is shipwrecked. So let's just recap so far. Paul has been in prison for two years for preaching the gospel, and now he's been shipwrecked out on the open sea. He survives that, lands on the island of Malta. There he is snakebitten on the hand. So now Paul has been in prison for two years. He's been shipwrecked and he's been snakebitten. By the grace of God, survives that. And he eventually lands in Rome where he is immediately put under house arrest and where he stays for the next year to two years. So Paul has been in jail for a couple of years in Jerusalem and Caesarea. He's been shipwrecked. He's been snake bitten. And then now he is under house arrest. And when the Philippians hear about all this, they're concerned about him. And they want to know how he's doing. And so they send word to ask how he's doing. And Philippians is Paul's response to their concern about the circumstances that he is in. Now, as I'm about to read, if you are able, I would love for you to stand with me as we read God's Word together. Starting in verse 12 of Philippians 1. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I will rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, Jesus, I just pray that you would come and speak to us. Um, I, I ask that, you know, not knowing people's circumstances, I just take courage and take heart and take faith in the fact that you are aware of every single person's circumstance here. Whether this past year in their life has been really tough or they've really kind of skated through it pretty easily, but you know something's coming ahead. Lord, you know everyone's circumstance, so speak to everyone as they need to be spoken to. For some, it's going to mean just encouragement and hope. 
For others, it may mean conviction. And I pray, Lord, for those of us that experience it, that we would, Lord, not simply respond out of an attitude of, I need to do better, but, Lord, we would respond by fleeing into your arms of grace. Holy Spirit, speak to us now through your word. Amen. Well, Paul seems unfazed by everything that is happening to him and in his circumstances. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that people have remarked on, that even though Paul is in prison, he really seems like the freest man in the world because he's in here and he's in prison and his circumstances seem really bad. And outside of prison, people are trying to make him jealous by preaching the gospel. They're not preaching a false gospel, but they're preaching with false intentions. And yet Paul is filled with joy. Um, people have said again that he's in chains, but he's free. I mean, because think, think about what are you going to do to Paul in this situation? If you go to him and you say, hey, we're going to let you live and release you, he's going to say, hey, to live as Christ, I'm going to get to go out and do ministry on his behalf. If you say, okay, well then we're going to put you to death, he'll say, hey, to die is gain. That's even better. I get to go and I get to be with Jesus. Well, then if you go to him and say, well, hey, we're going to keep you in prison, Paul will say, all right, that's fine. I'll just convert all of your guards. There's nothing that you can do to touch Paul here. There's nothing that you can do that seems to get him down. And I don't know about you, but when I read this, I just think of the phrase, built different. I don't know if you've maybe heard that phrase before, but it's used often of athletes like LeBron James or Michael Phelps. They're people who just were created differently physically. And because of that, they can do things that you and I could never hope to do. And when I read this passage, especially in light of all that context that I established about Paul's circumstances, it just seems like Paul is built differently than you and me. And there's no hope that I could ever be like him if I was in his circumstances or even if he was in my circumstances. I could never respond like this. Now, we have to be careful with that a little bit. And I think for two reasons. In Philippians 1, 29-30, Paul says this, It has been granted to you, he's speaking to the Philippians, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. So Paul sees the Philippians suffering and he himself is suffering. And so I think what, part of what he's doing here in this book is trying to model for them the way that they can suffer in the midst of their circumstances as he has in his. And then also in Philippians 4, 9, Paul just gets really explicit and he tells them, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Now, a little bit of a spoiler alert, and in a bit I'm going to say that really how we can imitate Paul is not simply to try harder and to do better, but really to just run to Jesus and run to the gospel because it was that that made Paul the way he was. Now, that being said, though, I do think we just need to acknowledge that Paul is just not like us in our circumstances. I imagine that if you and I were in prison like Paul, you know, we would rally the best legal team that we could afford and we would try to maybe get an interview with someone to try to get public opinion on our side, but that's not what Paul does. He simply rejoices over all that God is doing through his circumstances. And what I want us to do is maybe look at what enabled Paul to have this mindset and this attitude in his circumstances so that we could do something similar in ours. And we're going to look at really two themes that just are dominant in this passage and that are really interrelated as well. Paul's perspective and Paul's purpose. And really you see these both at work here and starting in verse 12. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. 
So there's what has happened to Paul. And if you were just to look at his circumstances and, and his surroundings and all the things that had happened to him over those past three or four years, you would have and he would have every reason to despair. But Paul's saying, hey, there's a different thing that we can look at. That's the idea of perspective, right? That, hey, perspective is I can look at it from one angle, but I can also look at it at a different angle and see that something greater can be seen. And that's what Paul says here. He says, hey, all of that I have experienced has not actually been a hindrance to the gospel. Because you can imagine the Philippians were concerned about that. This is the greatest church planner that Christianity had at this time. He's the greatest evangelist and he is not planning any churches. It doesn't seem like the gospel is advancing. Maybe the gospel will be stopped. And he says, hey guys, not only have my circumstances not stopped the gospel, they've actually advanced it in ways that you couldn't even imagine. Paul says there's a different way to look at what's going on. Now, I think we need to stop here, though, and really get our minds around Paul's purpose. Because I think until we understand Paul's purpose, we're not going to be able to understand or share his perspective. So until we understand what Paul's purpose was in every circumstance he encountered, we're not going to really understand how he was able to have the perspective he did in this particularly difficult circumstance. Now, what is Paul's purpose? I think if we do just a brief flyover of Philippians 1, it'll be really easy to pick up. Philippians 1.12, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Philippians 1.14, because of an imprisonment, Paul says the brothers are much more bold to speak the word, referring to the gospel. Philippians 1.18, only in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that Paul rejoices. Philippians 1.20, Paul's hope is that now, as always, Christ would be honored in his body, whether by his life or by his death. Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. Paul's purpose, the reason he existed, the reason he got up in the morning, was to magnify Jesus and to advance the gospel. That was the very central part of his being. Now, there were other things that Paul did. He, he was a guy just like us. He was a person just like us. And so it's not that that's really all Paul did from sunrise to sunset, but everything he did once he became a believer in Jesus, everything he did orbited around this central purpose, that in everything he did, he wanted to see Jesus magnified, not made to look bigger than he actually is. That's more like a magnifying glass, but rather through the idea of like a telescope where something that is actually really big but looks small in the eyes of others is shown to be big. That's what Paul wanted to do with his life, and he wanted to advance the gospel. And for Paul, this was all that mattered. I love how uh, Frank Thielman says of, in terms of then how it influences Paul's perspective on his circumstances, on his surroundings. He says this, instead of reporting how he was doing, Paul talks about how the gospel is doing. Paul's purpose is so entwined with the gospel that to ask how he is doing is to ask how the gospel is advancing. Maybe let's put it this way. If I had the chance to meet you uh, this weekend while we're here in Bellingham, um, and I were to ask you, okay, like, how are you doing? How's life going? What would you kind of immensely catalog and go through in your head to be able to answer that question? Okay, a lot of us would probably begin thinking about, okay, well, what's happened this week? Has it been a good week at work or a, a bad week at work? Hey, was I in traffic for a while? I was able to get that awesome spot. Um, man, what has life been like at home? Uh, we would think about all these things that either happen to us or around us, but that's not where Paul starts. Paul starts with how is the gospel advancing in everything that's happening to me? or around me. 
When Paul walks into a situation, he's not thinking, hey, is this easy or is it hard? Is it comfortable or not? Paul's thinking, hey, in this place, how is God moving and how can I be a part of it? So I, I think before we go any further with Paul and his perspective on his circumstances, I think we need to really stop and just ask this question. What's your purpose? Like, what is the central biggest thing in your life? Or I think just to make it kind of personal, you know, Paul in uh, verse 21 says this classic phrase, for to me to live as Christ, to die as gain. If you had to personalize that and be honest about it, what would you say to fill in the blank? For me to live is fill in the blank. And, and not what you should say, but what's really true. And, and listen, we don't know each other very well. And, you know, if, end up, if God ends up leading uh, me and my family here, uh, hopefully you'll get to know this about me. Uh, something I like to say both individually and to groups of people is this, is God has no interest in loving who you pretend to be. He wants to love who you are. So right now, before God, what would you have to honestly say is the greatest purpose in your life? Maybe it's your kids or your family. Maybe it's your job and accumulating wealth. Maybe it's, it's the leisure you live for those times. That's the biggest thing for you is when you can go out and be leisure and be comfortable. What, what is it for you? Maybe if you're a student, it, it's, it's getting good grades. Maybe it's sports. What, what is your greatest purpose in life? Now, if you'll notice, all the things that I mentioned really aren't bad. But what they can't be is the greatest thing that we live for. And, and really for two reasons. Number one, at the end of the day, those aren't going to last forever. Paul says to live as Christ, to die as gain. Well, here's the thing. If to live for us is our work, when we die, we're not going to be working anymore or accumulating wealth. If for us to live as pleasure, when we die, that's really in a sense what we would think of as the ceasing of pleasure. That's how most of the world thinks. No, what you want to do is you want to live for something that is going to last a billion years from now. And the great news that I have for you this morning is that Christ and His glory will last for a billion years from now. That in heaven, when we get to stand before Jesus and we get to die and have and gain Jesus in person. We are going to just be spending the rest of our lives soaking in the beauty and the majesty of Jesus. So why wouldn't we live for that now? The second reason that you don't really want to make anything else kind of the center of your life is that then the circumstances of your life will threaten the purpose of your life. Here's what I mean. If your greatest purpose in life is just to work and let's say just to accumulate wealth, well what happens all of a sudden when a recession hits? that's out of your control, you lose your purpose. Or I used to see this all the time as a student pastor. I would have students who, for them, really the central purpose of life, the main thing they lived for was sports. And everything else, including Jesus, took a backseat to that. But what I would often see is a student then would blow an ACL or something else would happen to them and they would lose sports and they would just be distraught. Now listen, some of them being distressed is normal and it's to be expected and it's fine. But what I would often see with them is they would just lose a total sense of purpose for their life. And see, Paul, Paul was the opposite though because for Paul, if magnifying Jesus and advancing the gospel was the center part of his being, what's beautiful about this being your purpose is that you can do that no matter what the circumstances are. So, so for Paul, in a sense, when he went to prison, a lot changed. His circumstances changed. It got harder. But in another sense, nothing really changed. He was doing what he had always been doing, but just in a new place. 
Now, with that being said, I want us to now get back to kind of Paul and his perspective. And, and what I really want to look at um, for a few minutes with you are the specific things that Paul indicates that God is doing, the bigger things that God is doing through Paul being in prison. We're going to jump back into verses uh, 13 and 14. It says this, It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers having become confident in the Lord in my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Two things that it seems that to Paul God is up to in the midst of his circumstances. Number one, the imperial guard are hearing about Christ in the gospel. This guard is also known as the praetorium. It's about 9,000 of Caesar's best elite troops. And they would guard Caesar himself, but they were also responsible for guarding imperial prisoners like Paul. Now, now think about this for a minute. It, when you read um, the epistles, Paul's epistles, what you'll sometimes see is that he had this desire to go to Rome and preach the gospel in Rome. And, and if I had to guess, he probably thought he wanted to do that as a free man. But God had other plans, and he had Paul get to Rome as a man in change. But because of that, he was able to declare the gospel to these imperial soldiers who would have not heard the gospel otherwise and they're being saved. I, I say that because in Philippians 4.22, Paul says as he's ending his letter, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, Paul here obviously is not talking about you know, Caesar's nephew or uh, a daughter or anything like that. Often, the praetorium were just simply known to be a part of the household because they were part of the complex in which the Caesar lived in and around. And so Paul is saying, hey, some of these guards that I've been chained to are coming to know Jesus, and they wouldn't have if Paul had not been sent to prison. The second thing Paul sees God doing is that Paul is, God is using Paul's imprisonment to make Christians more bold to share the gospel, which is interesting because you would think it would be the opposite, right? You would think that uh, if people heard that Paul was in prison, they would be way more hesitant to preach the gospel because they, they wouldn't want to end up there either, but the opposite is actually happening. And, and this is really true all throughout Christian history, that when times of persecution have come and people have been put in prison or worse, put to death, it hasn't put down the gospel. It's actually um, encouraged and emboldened people to share the gospel. Maybe one of my favorite examples is a guy named Jim Elliott. He was a 20th century missionary and with four other men went down, I think by 1951, 1952, to Ecuador to share the gospel with groups and tribes that had never heard it before. And one of my favorite sentences from Jim Elliot is this, is, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot was willing to give up his comforts to go and preach the gospel. And when he did, and shortly after they landed, all five of the missionaries, including Jim Elliot, were martyred for their faith. Now, news of this gets back to America, and you would probably expect that this dampened people's fervor to be missionaries and to go preach the gospel in hard-to-reach places, but the very opposite happened. Instead of it dampening people's boldness, it ignited a flame. And over the next coming years and decades, hundreds and maybe even potentially thousands of missionaries were sent out to places they would have never gone to otherwise if this had not had happened. And so Paul is saying that, hey, what has happened to me and all these bad things has really been a part of God's plan for something greater. What should have been a hindrance to the gospel has actually been a tool to advance it to places it never would have gone otherwise if not for Paul ending up in prison. Now, I would submit to you 
that this isn't just something that God did in Paul's life. This is just something God does, period. It's his normal way of operating. I think you see this in the Old Testament uh, in the story of Joseph. If you're not familiar, just real briefly, uh, Joseph is a guy in the Old Testament. He is uh, sold into slavery by his brothers. Bad move if you're a brother. Sold into slavery, and then from slavery he goes into prison, and he spends 13 years of his life in slavery and in prison. And if you were just to look at his life through those circumstances, it would seem dark if that was your only perspective. But God was up to something. Over time, God elevated Joseph to being the second in command over all of Egypt. And God had given um, Joseph the ability to interpret this dream that let him know that a famine was coming on the land. And so Joseph started stockpiling all of the food that he could in the years where it was plentiful. And because of that, when the famine came, Egypt had plenty of food. But guess who didn't have a lot of food? His brothers. And so his brothers come, and eventually there's this conflict, and Joseph had every opportunity to enact revenge. But instead he doesn't. He tells them this. He says, hey, you sold me into slavery. That is true. But God was sending me here to save your life and to save the lives of countless others. My my other favorite example, and it's really the ultimate example in all of Scripture and all of history, is Jesus. If you had been a follower of Jesus, and if you had been there on Good Friday and were looking at the cross, you would have thought, God has left the building. There is no way he's at work here. It's all dark. This is madness and chaos. But it was the darkest moment in human history that God used for the greatest good in human history, and that was our salvation. This is just what God does. He's working in ways that we cannot see with our own eyes. Now, I I, want to be careful right here, especially since you and I don't know each other too well, and I don't know your story, and I don't know your past and what you're going through. And Now, what I don't want you to hear me say or to be hearing Paul say or Scripture say is is that it's not okay to not be okay, (laughs) that that it is not okay to to feel bad about whatever circumstance you're in. It's not okay to to wonder, God, what are you doing here? That's not what this is saying. It is okay, and I love that you guys say this all the time, it is okay not to be okay. Paul is not saying, hey, you have that, like everything is fine. The whole part, the whole Bible really goes against this idea. Okay, so like in the Psalms, you have people who are um, just crying out laments before God, saying, God, why is this happening to me? In the New Testament, Paul himself says, weep with those who weep. Well, why do we weep? We weep because what's happening to us and around us breaks us. Jesus himself wept. So listen, it's not that we have to act like everything's fine when it's not. That's not what this is saying right here. And listen, I've been right there with you, if that's where you're at and that's where you've been. Uh, When I was a teenager, I went through three really tough years in a row of my life. Uh, In in the first year, uh, my brother became severely addicted to drugs. He was a very violent guy. Uh, at one point, you know, kind of pulled a knife on me, and it was just a really, really toxic situation in our home. Went to rehab for about a year. Um, year after that, I lost both my grandfather and a different uncle um, in the same week. The father and the son. And, and, and the, the uncle was especially rough on me because he'd been this really big, burly guy, and he got cancer, and I just watched it eat him away till he was nothing but skin and bones. And then a year after that, my mom left my family. That was kind of the last straw for me. I, I, 
Now, in, in her defense, she, she wrote a letter. My dad was a pastor, which, which just compounded some of it. And she wrote a letter to the church, but in that letter, she said, I've been married to him for almost 30 years, but I haven't loved him for 20. And she was trying to explain why that was her decision, but still just hearing that and hearing other things just wrecked me. And I just remember just getting so angry at God. And just going, God, and, God, and saying to God, God, you say you love me, you, you say you'll take care of me, but like, what is going on then? Like, wh- why is this all happening? And I would just do this over and over and over again, but eventually I stopped and I said, God, I'm just done with you. And I walked my own way. And it was actually in that moment that my life spiraled out of control. Now, I, I put on a good face and acted like everything was okay, but inwardly I was spiraling out of control. I, I just sunk to the depths of depression and began thinking about it and almost took my own life. Now, I, I don't have the time to tell you the story of all that happened, but needless to say, because I'm here before you, God in His grace, Jesus in His grace and mercy, rescued me from that and redeemed my life. But, but often when I tell people that story, I tell them I made two mistakes in that season of my life that I would not want you to make. The first mistake was that I ever stopped yelling at God. You probably didn't expect uh, me to say that. But I just learned in that season that I think God would rather have had me keep pressing into Him even if it was in confusion and frustration than to walk away. And so I would just tell you, if you're in a situation where you, you just don't get what's going on in your life or something that's happened to you in the past, the, the worst thing you could do would be to give up going to God even if it's just out of frustration and even if it's just out of wondering why this is happening. Keep pressing into God. But the, the second mistake that I made was that I never stopped, and even if it was in a lamenting kind of way, stopped and just said, okay, God, like, what are you doing here that is maybe greater than I can see, and, and, and what do you want me to do, and how can I be a part of it? Now, now by the grace of God, a few years later, um, I began telling my story of all that I'd been through, and, and all that had happened, and how God had rescued me from it, and Here's what began to happen. I would tell that story and people would come up to me afterwards and they would say things like, huh, I thought I was the only one. And they would just open up about how they were struggling with um, depression or um, about how their parents had gone through a similar thing or they had been harming themselves or they were even thinking of taking their own life. And in those moments, I would be able to lean in and, and just say, listen, you're not the only one. And even though it may not feel like it, man, God is with you right now as you're going through all this. And often in those moments, it would let me, to share, it would let me share the gospel with them. And, and what I realized in those moments was this. What had happened to me had really served to advance the gospel. And so listen, I, for you, I'm not, not saying that you have no space to ask tough questions because of your circumstances. What I'm saying is to consider, to hold on to the fact that God is working on a greater scale and a greater canvas than you and I can possibly imagine. And I use that word canvas intentionally. I, I think if you've never seen one of a tapestry, and if you've never seen how they work on a tapestry, often what will happen is they'll go and kind of go from the top down. And at the bottom, as they're working on the tapestry, if you were to kind of get close to it, you would see these hundreds and thousands of, of threads that are going off in every direction. And it just seems like chaos. If you zoomed in there and that's all you saw, it would seem like there was chaos. But if you took a step back and looked, you would see that there is a master craftsman creating this beautiful tapestry. And it's all coming together. 
And I'm just asking you to trust that there is a master craftsman, a master artist of your life who has a plan. And part of that plan is to use every circumstance in your life to magnify Jesus and to share the gospel. And I would even say that God will use the most painful moments in your life to show Jesus in ways that could not have happened otherwise. That often it's in the darkest moments of our life that the light of the gospel shines brightest. And I'm asking you to hold on to that with me today. So, so we've seen Paul's perspective when you've seen his purpose. But now my question is, okay, so <laughs> what do we do? It feels like we're almost where we were at the beginning where it just seems like Paul is on this totally different level and there's a gap between us and him. And, and, and so what do we do? I, I just want to give us a, a couple things. The first thing is we have to go back to the gospel. And what I mean is, is that really this is supposed to be what happens when we read Scripture. Is that we, we see, like when we see who God is and all that He wants us to be, whether because He tells us or because He shows us the example of someone like Paul, we see that there is a gap between who He is and, and who we are supposed to be and who we are. And oftentimes our instinct is to try to fill that gap ourselves, to try to say, okay, I'm going to do better. So in here we're going to say, I'm going to live for Christ. I'm going to be just like Paul. When in actuality, God wants our first instinct to be to realize that we don't have to close the gap, that Jesus already closed the gap for us, that Jesus already lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, that whereas you and I very often do not live for God, that's all Jesus did while he was on planet Earth. And then he died in our place to cover over all of our failures. The first place I would ask all of us to go to is back to the gospel. And also because, listen, as we go back to the gospel, what happens is, is we see the fact that Jesus still loves us just as we are. It puts passion in, in our hearts to live for Jesus, not out of trying to earn anything, but because we just love him. Go back to the gospel. And I, I would also say connected to that, that I don't think that we have to try to be like Paul. I think rather we need to ask the question, how did Paul become like Paul? What, 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 what made him get to this place? And I would argue that if you just read his epistles and you read the book of Acts in his life, you'll see a man who came to see that every point of his existence was in reference to Jesus. If you were to ask Paul, Paul, how did you get here on this earth? He would have told you, for by Jesus all things were created. All things were created on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things were created through him and for him. That's Colossians 1.16. If you were to ask Paul, like, how could you believe that God loved you even when you persecuted the church? He would have said in Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us, for me, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you were to ask Paul, okay, well, like, how did Jesus save you and why did he save you? He would say, hey, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy even to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10. If you were to ask Paul, hey, didn't you give up like a lot to follow Jesus? You were the cream of the crop of religious leaders. Like, didn't you give up a lot? He would say from Philippians 3, 8, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. If you were to say, Paul, like, what gets you up in the morning? What gives you purpose in meeting? He would say from Acts 20, 24, that he considers his life of no value or precious to himself if only he could finish his race and testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Acts 20, 24. If you were to ask him, hey, Paul, like, why do you drink orange juice? He would have said from Colossians, hey, whatever I do, whether in word and deed, I do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
If you were to stop and say, okay, well, Paul, like, what if all of this leads you to your death? He would say from Philippians 1.21, to die is gain. And then if you were to say, okay, Paul, so then why is to live Christ? He would probably say, everything I am is from, through, to, for, and every other preposition you can think of in relation to Jesus. What else is there to live for? But here's what I want to stop, though, and say to you. Everything I just said about Paul, and that is true of Paul, is true of you. You were created through and for Jesus. You were saved by Jesus. Maybe, maybe you weren't a persecutor of the church. I doubt you were, but Ephesians 2 tells me that everyone who is apart from Christ was dead in their sins, so that if Jesus has saved you, you're a walking miracle. And so I think if you want to become like Paul in Philippians 1 here, the best thing that you can do is to stop and consider all that Jesus has done and is and is for you. Well, as we close, I think it'd be helpful maybe for us also just to ask a question in light of all of that and all that I've said. And here's the question, especially as we kind of think about this past 12 to 15 months in our circumstances. What does God want to do through us by what has happened to us and around us? This past year has been crazy, both on an individual and on a church level. You know, and we can say, okay, doing, doing church online and for a while, you know, not really being able to do anything in person and all the things that have happened to us individually, like, man, that's been a hindrance to the work of the gospel. But what I'm wondering is what's going to come out of this season. I, I love the vision of Redeemer that you want to see everyone everywhere experiencing the gospel. And here's my question. Who might we be able to reach with the gospel that we would never have been able to reach otherwise because of this past year? How might God be wanting to use what's happened to us to do something incredible through us? How amazing would it be if in the coming months and years we were able to look at people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel and we could say, that, that all started in this pasture that, hey, what happened to us has really served to advance the gospel. And the question is, is are you and I willing to see God advancing the gospel in every one of our circumstances, and are we willing to join Him in it? Let's now pray that God would make it so. Jesus, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for how You've spoken to us. And God, I do just want to pray right now for, for all the people that have been joining in and, and watching this and listening to it. Um, God, I want to pray right now that you would just rescue us from any sense of self-improvement, that you would rescue us from any sense that we now are supposed to go and do all this ourselves. Would you help us just to run to you, Jesus, and to see about all that you've done for us. And may, Lord, that drive us to live inspired lives that seek to magnify you and to advance the gospel because of all that you've done for us. And God, I do want to just pray over the future that, Lord, in the coming weeks and months and years, individually and as a church, we would be able to look back at this past season and be able to point to how the gospel advanced in spite of all the stuff happening around us and to us. And may be it all for your glory. Amen.